plots and forget-me-nots Written by Guts and Glitter Read by Literarian Chapter 5 No wedding day smiles, no walk down the aisle 2019 And what does the hanged man represent? Adam closed his eyes, furrowing his brow in concentration. Being stuck or a lack of ability to help oneself through independent action, he recited. Excellent, Madame Tracy beamed and reversed. Selfishness or useless sacrifice, he said with slightly more confidence. Oh, you're a natural. Before you know it, you're going to be better at this than I am, she said, shuffling her deck. Truth be told, it would not have been particularly difficult for him to surpass her interro talent. A Madame Sosostris, she was not. She had never been an exceptionally good psychic, though she did always put on a good show of it for her clients. That said, she was correct in saying that Adam was a natural. At uni, it would become his go-to drunken party trick and would help him catch the eye of Warlock Dowling, his future husband. Though neither he nor Madame Tracy would ever see that one coming. These little tarot lessons had become a regular occurrence at the shop when Adam was not accompanied by his friends. As the summer wore on, Aziraphal had procured several additional stools, as well as a basket bed and fresh stash of treats for Doc, who was slowly warming up to him. Customers often did a double-take when they entered, clearly not expecting to see children or animals or psychic reading sessions taking place in a tiny Soho flower shop, but no one seemed to mind terribly. Least of all Aziraphale, who had all but given up on the pretense of running a proper business. As Madame Tracy laid out a Celtic cross on the countertop, the florist set about making a fresh pot of tea in the back room, humming all the while. It was something he found himself doing a lot these days. Since Adam and his friends had started hanging around, the shop seemed to be perpetually filled with laughter and warmth, making Aziraphale feel at home in a way he hadn't in a very long time. But as he re-emerged from the back room bearing tea and biscuits, the August idyll was broken by an unholy screech. The trio turned to the window, just in time to see Crowley pull up outside the shop in his Bentley. Two of the tyres were up on the curb, and the sandwich board advertising 15% off all rose purchases had been knocked flat by the bumper. Apparently satisfied with his parking job, Crowley hopped out and began strolling towards the tattoo parlour. Oh, for heaven's sake! Aziraphale cried. 
He slammed the kettle and biscuit tin down on the counter, sloshing a few drops of Darjeeling on the cards, and stormed out of the shop. The door swung shut behind him, muffling the ensuing argument from Madame Tracy's and Adam's ears. That didn't stop them from watching the silent drama that began to play out in the street, with Aziraphale gesticulating wildly and Crowley looking bored and not at all like he was going to move his car any time soon. Oh, just kiss and make up already, Madame Tracy muttered. She set her cards down on her lap and set about pouring the tea. Adam looked at her quizzically. You want them to be boyfriends again? Madame Tracy gestured towards the window, where the two men were still locked in a heated discussion. Or, more accurately, where Aziraphale was locked in a heated discussion. Crowley was leaning up against the Bentley with a smirk, clearly parrying each of his protestations with a clever zinger. Not just me, they both want it too. They're just too bloody proud to admit it. Mr. Fell said that what happened between them was complicated. Madame Tracy smiled and shook her head. Not nearly as complicated as they make it out to be. She reached out and squeezed his hand. Most of the time, when grown-ups say something is complicated, it really just means that talking about it makes them too sad. This made sense to Adam for the most part. He thought back to all the times his parents had said those very words to him, how often they were accompanied by a sad look, much like Aziraphale's. He looked back to the window and watched as Crowley stuck his tongue out at Aziraphale, who threw his hands in the air and stomped back to the shop. He shot Madame Tracy a dark look as he came back around the counter. Not a word, he muttered. Wouldn't dream of it, she said mildly, handing him his tea. Adam watched as Aziraphale leaned against the counter, pinching the bridge of his nose and looking like he was trying very hard not to cry. He hated seeing the florist so upset, especially since he now knew there was a potential remedy for the man's misery. He was a kind, generous soul who went out of his way to make other people happy, and the more Adam thought about it, the more he realized that it only made sense for someone to return the favor. Later that night, he met up with the them and relayed Madame Tracy's commentary. They're still in love, he said. It's obvious. They just need a little push to make them realize how stupid they're being. I take it you actually mean we should be the ones to push them together? Wensleydale asked nervously. Of course, I've got a plan. Sounds like a great plan said Brian, who had only been half listening. 
he'd been distracted by a particularly interesting-looking dragonfly that was hovering nearby. Adam frowned. I haven't said my plan yet. Yeah, but it sounds like it's gonna be a good one, Brian said, trying to save face. All your plans are good. Several days later, a young woman with dark hair and impossibly thick glasses showed up at the shop, looking lost. Aziraphale greeted her warmly. How can I help you? The woman adjusted her glasses and gave him a kind, if twitchy, smile. Hi there, do you by any chance do weddings? Aziraphale beamed. Of course, I adore them. When's the big day? Well, that's a thing, she said nervously, shifting from foot to foot. It's on Halloween. It's not too late to book you, is it? I know two months and some change isn't a lot of time to prepare. No, that's perfectly fine. Normally, Aziraphale booked weddings close to a year in advance, and his official policy was no less than six months' notice. But there was something unique about this girl, he told himself. Perhaps it was the way she dressed, slightly stuffy and old-fashioned, like Aziraphale himself. Or perhaps it was just because it was Wednesday, and that he was in a good mood, or that he would have preferred to set himself on fire rather than have someone leave his shop disappointed. He knew Madame Tracy would tease him mercilessly for once again letting his soft-touch tendencies interfere with his business practices. He also knew she would be thrilled to be recruited into helping out with the order. Together, they could make it work. The woman clutched her hand to her chest. Oh my God, you're a lifesaver. I'm so bad at this wedding planning stuff. To be honest, I never really thought I'd ever be getting married. Always thought I was more the witchy spinster in the woods type. She rambled. Although my Aunt Agnes swore up and down that she always knew I was faded to find love. Her words, not mine. I'm anathema, by the way. Pleasure to meet you. I'm Aziraphale. Hey, another member of the weirdly antiquated name club. Anathema grinned. I take it that primary school wasn't much fun for you either. Aziraphale smiled wryly. Not in the slightest. He ducked behind the counter to retrieve his wedding arrangement portfolio. What's your colour palette? I don't know. I mean, I'll be wearing white, probably. Still need to get around to get an address. Aziraphale couldn't help the look of pure horror that crossed his face. Two months to the wedding and you don't have a colour palette or a dress? Anathema shrugged. I told you I'm not great at this.
I'm usually super organized about everything, but for some reason my brains decided that this is a good time to start procrastinating. I probably would have put this part off even longer, but one of my students recommended you to me. Not sure why an 11-year-old boy knows so much about flowers, but he swore up and down that you were the best. <laughs> this student wouldn't happen to be Adam Young, would it? Aziraphale asked, bemused. It is! Anathema smiled. He's a good kid. He and his friends visit me occasionally during the summer months. It's funny, they also suggested that my fiancé and I get matching tattoos before the wedding. Aziraphale pursed his lips. Of course they did. Anathema shrugged. I think they were just kidding, but I actually kind of love the idea. Now the trick is just convincing my fiancé. He's deathly afraid of needles. Right. Aziraphale drummed his fingers against the countertop. Well, this might be a bit forward, but I've done many, many weddings over the course of my career, and I believe I've absorbed quite a lot of information on them by osmosis. I could offer my assistance in planning and preparations, if you'd like. Anathema frowned and adjusted her glasses again. Oh, I don't know if I could afford to hire you as a planner, too. You know, teach a salary. Aziraphale shook his head. No charge. A friend of Adam's is a friend of mine. If his ledger books could talk, they'd have been screaming bloody murder. One of these days, he was going to have to actually start running the shop like a proper business, but today was not that day. And the next day didn't look too promising either. Really? Anathema looked like she'd just won the lottery or seen a particularly cute dog. Oh my gosh, you're a lifesaver! An actual angel! Aziraphale stiffened slightly, but his smile stayed in place. It's nothing, really. Anathema hadn't been kidding when she said she hadn't planned anything. Aside from a half-completed draft of a guest list, everything was up in the air. No venue, no music, no menu, no invitations. Aziraphale had his work cut out for him. And so AZ Fell and Co. became Anathema Device's wedding planning headquarters seemingly overnight. The floriography tomes on the front counter were replaced with a towering stack of bridal magazines and vendor information packets, the wrapping station was buried under sheets and sheets of fabric samples for tablecloths and runners, and there were now a number of colour swatch cards hidden inside the till. Though it was still summer, his regular floral orders were now filled with nothing but autumnal offerings. Dahlias, purple acacia, eucalyptus, thistle, amaranthus, 
and even a few types of succulents, which his supplier told him were very insta-worthy, whatever that meant. As expected, Madame Tracy was delighted to offer her assistance, and predictably, she and Anathema became fast friends. Adam and the them were also drafted into helping, answering phones and running to pick up samples from vendors. They seemed delighted to be entrusted with such grown-up tasks, though it did raise a few slight ethical quandaries. At what point does this start breaking child labour laws? Anathema asked one day, looking over Wensleydale's shoulder as he balanced the shop's account books. Aziraphale grimaced. Goodness, I hadn't thought of that. In his defence, Wensleydale had volunteered for that particular task, calling Aziraphale's accounting practices horrendous, which, to be fair, they were. Children, you should probably take a break now. Go outside and play. But we don't want to, Pepper protested. In lieu of gifts, Newt and Anathema were requesting their guests make donations to charity. Pepper had been tasked with researching worthy causes and organisations. It was a job she took very seriously. She and Brian were in the corner with a tablet and a stack of non-profit annual reports. And we prefer you didn't call us children, she continued. It's infantilizing. I think colleagues would be more appropriate in this context. Aziraphale looked back to Anathema and gave her a weak smile. Perhaps you can give them extra credit once school starts back up? Quite a lot of it. Anathema thought about it for a moment, then shrugged. Sounds good to me, colleagues. The last day of August was an unreasonably long one, and by the time closing rolled around, Aziraphale was bone-tired. In addition to working on his usual floral orders and custom arrangements, he had also spent several hours on the phone with the caterers, who, for whatever reason, were looking to fight him every step of the way. Though it was just as well, since the children hadn't made an appearance that day. He'd grown so used to their presence in such a short period of time that the shop seemed like such a hopelessly lonely place without them. Staying busy helped to keep his mind from dwelling on that fact for too long. He went outside to retrieve the sandwich board, which was only slightly worse for wear after its brush with the Bentley. As he moved to fold the board, he glanced up and saw Crowley walking down the sidewalk with a paper bag from the chemist's in one hand. He wasn't wearing his jacket, an unusual occurrence, but it had been quite warm that day, leaving most of his tattoos visible. His left arm was dotted with small stick-and-poke doodles he had done himself during his apprenticeship constellations, lightning bolts, 
arrows, musical notes, pentagrams, anchors, dice, plus a tiny daisy nestled in the crook of his elbow. His right arm was done up with a lush, grey-scale garden sleeve, all intricate thorned vines twisted up with pine boughs and fern leaves and apple blossoms. That was one of the first tattoos he'd gotten, before he'd even begun to consider becoming an artist himself. It had taken nearly a dozen hours to complete, stretched across three sessions. Aziraphale had gone with him to all three to keep him company and help stave off boredom. Crowley had a tendency to fidget when bored, something that's rather frowned upon when someone is doing intricate line work on your body. It was a fond memory, one that filled Aziraphale with a feeling of bittersweet warmth every time he was reminded of it. Crowley spotted him and held up his hands in a don't-shoot gesture. Don't worry, the Bentley is far away from your precious curb, he said. Aziraphale raised an eyebrow, sceptical. You were able to find another space? Crowley stopped in front of him and stuck his free hand in his pocket. Yeah. Figured I'd plunk it in front of that Ponzi new restaurant that just opened down the street. Block it a bit, maybe cut down on their foot traffic. Aziraphale wrinkled his nose. Oh, yes, famine, dreadful place. I don't think even I could object to you making a nuisance there. And that's saying something. Aziraphale couldn't really argue with that, so he simply pursed his lips and made a non-committal hum. Maybe it was the fact that it had been a long day of wedding planning, maybe it was the sight of the sleeve, maybe it was the way the setting sun caught Crowley's russet hair and made it glow, but something made him wish to continue the conversation. Was Adam with you today? He didn't stop by, which usually means he's at yours. Yep, all four of them were there today. Crowley smirked. Sort of feels like we're sharing custody at this point. Aziraphale had to smile at that. Yes, I suppose it does. I do wonder if they tell their parents where they've been all day. Hmm, hope not. Not sure how well it would go over, finding out they've been spending time in my den of inequity. Aziraphale rolled his eyes. Well, for all of your bluster, you are quite good with them. Adam especially. He really seems to look up to you. He had meant to tease, knowing how much Crowley would hate the idea of being a role model. But there was no real bite to his words, so it came out sounding like a genuine compliment. Crowley scrubbed a hand across the back of his neck. Ah, well, you know, he's a good kid. Asks too many questions, but that's not such a bad thing. No, I suppose it's not. 
several moments of awkward silence passed as Aziraphale racked his brain for something to say. Something that was not, Sometimes I miss you so much it makes my teeth ache. These moments of civility between them were not unheard of, but they were few and far between. Sometimes when no one else was around and the wind was just right, and Mercury wasn't in retrograde, they were able to reach a kind of detente. It was pleasant, but in some ways it hurt worse than the fighting did. Aziraphale could hold his own while they were bickering, and it was so much easier to keep Crowley at arm's length. But in these quiet moments he was funny and kind, and Aziraphale was reminded of the fact that Crowley was exactly the same person he had fallen in love with nearly thirty years prior. It was a punch with a velvet glove, a reminder that if he himself hadn't been such a blind, dithering idiot, they would likely still be together and Crowley would still love him. Crowley jerked a thumb over his shoulder towards the general vicinity of his shop. Anyway, I should be getting back to it. See you around. Right, yes, see you around. Crowley turned and sauntered back to Ninth Circle, Inc. Aziraphale chewed his lip for a moment before remembering his initial task and moved to fold up the sandwich board and drag it back inside. The shop was quiet, somehow more lonely and more desolate than it had been just a few minutes prior. He tried humming, but it was no use. The tiny melody was no match for the ear-splitting silence. As he locked up for the night, his thoughts circled back to Crowley. Always Crowley. The thing was, he'd tried to move on. He'd really, truly tried. He'd dated other men kissed other men. He'd even dated a woman for a short while, since it was something he'd never tried before. Fortunately, Catherine had been lovely and very understanding of his situation. She was now married with two daughters, and Aziraphale still received Christmas cards from her every year. He had assumed it would be easy. Since Crowley had been his first everything, kiss, fuck, love, breaking up meant he was free to explore his likes and dislikes, turn-ons and turn-offs. But it seemed that his list of dislikes and turn-offs far outweighed everything else. No one else could ever compare. They were either too tall or too short, too kind or too dull. This one wasn't quick-witted enough, that one was too acerbic. They were all pleasant enough to be around, but none of them ever inspired any great swell of emotion in him. He couldn't imagine feeling passionate towards them, 
couldn't imagine loving them or taking them to bed. There was no spark with them, no exhilaration, no screaming or fighting or kissing in the rain. They were all just so... not crowly. He eventually accepted the fact that there could be no one else for him and that he was likely to love Crowley from a short distance for the rest of his days. There was a certain romanticism to it, he supposed, like something out of a Bronte novel. Tis better to have loved and lost, and so forth. Still, as he shuffled upstairs to his little flat, what had once been their little flat, he couldn't help but question his own motivations in helping Anathema plan her wedding. Of course he was a soft touch who delighted in helping others, but offering to plan a complete stranger's wedding was a bit much, even for him. And some of the suggestions he'd made had come to him so quickly. From having a string quartet played during the ceremony, Anathema had loved the idea, to serving Chateauneuf du Pape at dinner, ended up being cost-prohibitive, such a pity, to using the lovely cream tartan table runners he'd found at the thrift store. Both Anathema and Newt had vetoed them straight away. Deep down he wondered if he wasn't, in a way, planning the wedding that he and Crowley could have had. The wedding that they should have had.